Welcome to the Twitter spaces. We're going to be having a conversation with two editors that I found on candle.gg. We're going to be doing questions for anybody who's interested into getting into the realm of doing video editing. And then after that, I'll shift gears talking about working with video editors from a creator's perspective. So how did you get started? I've been really fascinated by YouTube since it first began 2005, 2006. And there's been many a times where I've tried to attempt being my own like personality online and I'm still trying to, it's still a hustle, but over the journey, I met people that needed editors. And then that I felt that'd be a good practice to finally become my own personality. And for the past seven years, I've been working for multiple YouTube channels and I've just found a new love of being an editor for a lot of people and just being that helpful tool since a lot of people uh, struggle in that factor more than anything when it comes to being a creator online. Very cool. And what about you, Joshua? I actually started out the same way where I wanted to do my own sort of content creation. Around the same time, I would say 2005, 2006. I really liked the idea of being really good at video games. So I used to play a ton of video games and I've jumped from game to game trying to be competitive. The last game that I played was Smash Brothers. And I actually thought that this was going to be something that I could actually do. But then COVID hit, tournaments in my area as well as around the world were out for like two years or so. And so at some point I was like, I can't just keep sitting around not doing anything. Not only because uh, if I'm not doing anything, then I'm not going to be financially stable. But at some point I couldn't really see a future where the tournaments would come back regularly. So I figured that I needed to actually figure out something to do. And since YouTube was something that I was always interested in, since a lot of other high competitive players have YouTube channels and stuff, and I thought the idea was cool. So I started doing some editing and then someone named Colors of Chloe actually took me up on that. And ever since then, I just kept editing for other people. I wasn't really expecting it to go this far, but it just kept going and going mainly because of word of mouth. Gotcha. All right. Very cool. Since we're starting in the beginning, what do you think for people who are aspiring to be video editors, what are some fundamentals that every editor should learn? And Jab, you could take this one. For me, I fully believe in teaching yourself. I've spent the first five or six years just making a bunch of random jokey videos. And I think people should just start there. Never start with big projects. Just choose a video editor that you think is more accustomed to you after watching a few videos about each one. And just make a bunch of test videos, film a bunch of random things, and you don't even have to necessarily put it out there. Spend the first year or two getting your feet wet and seeing what type of video styles that you're more accustomed to. Are you more of a music video person? Are you more of a video essay person? We live in a time where there's so many tutorial videos out there. So I, I really believe in just using it like a video game. Find a program of your choice and play as if you would spend time with a video game. That's how I did it. Especially when you're younger and you have a lot of free time. That's probably the best time to do it. I like that. So it's like finding which weapon that you want to use or the tool that you want to use. And then you figure out which build you want to go, depending on your style of video editing or the style of video that you want that you feel suits you the best. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that go into video editing expecting for their first thing to be like a big project because they always see YouTubers making one, two, three hour long videos. But all those YouTubers will tell you the same thing. Their starts were just these random, silly, small videos that were really only around to make their friends laugh or just to make themselves laugh. I think too many people get burnt out too quickly thinking that's the first thing they need to do is like this big magnum opus production when in reality that's something that most people don't accomplish until three years down the line at the very least. I appreciate that. Yeah, I agree with it. Joshua, what about you? So I did the same thing as Jab where it's like you self-teach yourself, like, self-teacher yeah you self-teach yourself uh you just go on youtube and you just start looking up stuff if you see something cool that somebody else has done then just go ahead and try it there's no real punishment for trying something new i, I think what ends up happening is you go down this rabbit hole of stuff that you didn't even know really existed maybe when you're trying to learn a, a, a particular effect or something like that then you see that this guy's using this plugin and then you learn about this these plugins from all these different places then you learn about extensions and then it just keeps growing and growing mm -hmm. i actually personally like being self-taught more or at least being given the option to choose where i want to go a lot of structured learning tends to be very linear i find it can limit your potential to find new styles or new ways to do things for me, as an example, like I take a lot of things from different editors, 
maybe I'll go and look at Jab's stuff and be like, oh, wow, the way he uses text is really cool. So then maybe I'll copy the way that he does text. And then I see this other person that does transitions really well. So maybe I'll take that from over here. And I just look at a bunch of different resources. Personally, what I do is I, I copy people. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say that I am very original in a lot of cases, but if I see something that's cool, I'm going to try and at the very least emulate it. And then if I think it can be done better, then I'll try and put some flavor on it. But it's not like someone owns a particular effect or a particular style. So don't be afraid to just copy other people's editing. Yeah. And even yeah. if people recognize it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I've seen multiple YouTubers edit their videos where I'm like, oh, I recognize that exact premiere effect. For a lot of YouTubers, like editing is just, I don't know if this is the right word, but utilitarian. So people won't mind if they see like the same editing tactics because at the end of the day, it gets the job done. Well, so yeah, don't, yeah, good. I think people that, that recognize that copying styles is a good thing, they'll actually like feel honored or appreciate that you're copying it because then that means that they, that you think that what you're, what they're doing is good. Yeah. I, there's this quote somewhere and I think I'm paraphrasing it, but there's something along the lines of like emulation is the best form of flattery. And I have read this book before. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this author named Austin Cleon. And he wrote this book called Steal Like an Artist. And it's really cool. It's a very short and easy book to read. But the basis of the whole thing is basically nothing in this world is original. And everybody gets ideas from each other. And so there's like a huge difference between plagiarizing, which is literally taking something and saying that's yours. Or just taking inspiration from and copying it and then working it until you figure out how to make it your own. That's usually how everyone starts, right? Whether it's like a video game, whether it's video editing, anything that you do, you have to learn by l watching other people first. I think you can yeah. sometimes also create your own style from taking styles from other people. The combination of the things that you copied can become something of your own. For sure. There's also another book regarding this called Everything is a Remix, where it basically just says the same thing, how the fear of not coming off as original is like never a fear that you should have because... If you dissect any form of media, you can tell what inspiration that they've had, like down to every single nitpicky editing, whether it be video, sound, or script, etc. One thing I found really funny, because I edit my own videos, and I use um, a service called Epidemic Sound. Well, for those of you who don't know, it's like a library of music and, and sound effects that you can use on your YouTube channel without copyright issues. It's a very popular service for a lot of creators out there, and I, I just start recognizing songs. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that came from Epidemic. I definitely know this one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. If there's definitely like a objective soundtrack, I've noticed more and more YouTubers using. For sure. All right. So like you have honed your skills and you've learned how to edit and you feel a little bit more comfortable. How do we start finding people to work with in the first place? Jab, you could take this one uh, first and then we'll move on to Joshua. The worst way to do it is to just advertise yourself online as a video editor. There's been so many situations where whether it be myself or someone else that like makes a calling to look for a video editor and then someone posts like copy and paste like the same tweet that says, hey, looking for a video editor, here's a list of my skills. And then you go on their Twitter page and that's the only thing that they're tweeting over and over again. That scares the hell out of people. And I think the first step to really getting yourself out there and getting your own jobs is to like create a personality for yourself because that makes a lot of YouTubers know that even if you don't get any job ever, you're still creatively driven to make stuff. And that's the type of passion that people look for. If someone sees that you're really only there to like leech, or at least it feels like they're leeching off of your clout and your popularity, that's a bad look. So. I would suggest everyone who's editing, even if your goal isn't to get like as much spotlight as another YouTube creator, still try to get yourself out there as your own brand so they can at least see that you're independently driven. I think that's my first uh, piece of advice I can give. I would agree in that like you shouldn't just advertise yourself. I know that sounds a bit contradicting because in a lot of ways people say like put yourself out there. And I think one way that people interpret that is by advertising their services on their Twitter profile. I do agree that you should like make a personality, but I did it in a more professional way. I'm not very, this isn't quite the word that I want to use, but I'm not a very open person on social media. So I'm not always posting where I went and taking selfies and stuff like that. You, a lot of, if you go to my profile, a lot of it is just, it's just video editing stuff. The way that I did it personally is you go to the people. You don't just expect people to come to your profile. 
you want to join communities. So I joined like editing communities. They have discords out there where they post jobs. So if someone sees a job on Twitter or Hitmarker or Upwork or one of those websites, they'll post it there. Uh, you can also use Twitter. This is one that not a lot of people really know. If you just go into the search bar and type looking for video editor, then it just shows all the tweets of people that are looking for video editors. That's actually how I got started with Chloe. To go back on the personality thing, give yourself a little bit of personality when you're applying, but you don't necessarily have to do that on your profile. And even on your profile, you want to be careful with things that you post. If you post a lot of controversial stuff or not safe for work things, then you can come off as a bit unprofessional and some people may not want to necessarily work with you for that. I'm glad me and you are both talking on this because I feel like we have two completely opposite like approaches on where we got to uh, today. I feel this very strongly too because I think both ways work. When I was heavily within the collegiate esports scene, a lot of students were trying to figure out their way around the industry, working in esports or just working in gaming as a whole. There are different ways that people go about it. And depending on your personality and what you're comfortable with, it could both work either way. And I, I do agree that both of y'all share the same sentiment about this. It's just not spamming your services on social media. That's the one thing, right? You can, I believe, just talk about what you do because you're so passionate about it. You could share different editing stuff. You could retweet things that you thought were a cool edit. Some people call it build in public, like a live journal of what you're doing as an editor. But then if you're just only spamming your services, like how when I work with streamers, I tell them all the time to not just spam the I'm live on Twitch and then you go onto their profile and that's all you see. It really detracts from the quality of the profile and it's like why should i follow you yeah like you know how on twitter as a joke people will make joke tweets like i need help on my essay then suddenly like these 20 like bot accounts will, will like reply to them <laughs> as, as, a, as a joke one day i made a tweet saying hey i need a video editor and literally within three minutes i got six dms from all these people that did what? the same thing they weren't even bots. They were like, it was even more sad. It was people manually copying and pasting the same paragraph pitch. Oh, and, no. I, and then I checked their replies and that's what they're doing all day. And I'm like, oh man, this is a bad look. Like oh. when that's your only presence online, like that is so, that is really embarrassing. I'm sorry if anyone here <laughs> does that, but that's like an immediate red flag in my book. And a lot of people I've worked for um, have felt the same. It, mm -hmm. If you really want to post stuff, I would say treat your profile as like your portfolio almost. You can do that if you really want to post a lot, but feel like you don't really have an option. So if you edit something cool, you can just take that those like five seconds and then just post it and then just leave it there. If it gets traction, then it gets traction. If it doesn't, it's not a big deal. It's more about when you're getting a job. If the person decides to look at your Twitter pro profile, then they see something like, oh, wow, this person actually enjoys video editing and they have all these other clips that they didn't show me. This is cool. Then the more and more I just went down that route, people ended up asking me for work instead of the other way around to the point where I had to turn down yeah. some people. All right, all right. So I, I heard Joshua's story about how he got in contact with Chloe. So you reached out to her. That's one way of doing it. Jeff, for your first job, did you reach out to somebody specifically or did you wait for someone to reach out to you after building up your personal brand on social media? More often than not, I just started with like really small channels I was already friends with, like channels with 500 subscribers. And it was small jobs like, hey, I don't feel like editing this piece of audio. Can you do it for me? I don't recommend it, but I did work for free for like a year or two, the first like couple years I did this, but that was just because like at first I was taking what I could get, but the more and more my names would pop up on videos, the more and more I just like slowly just became friends with other YouTubers. And then my first major gig, which was with Mother's Basement happened on accident. It was like all the way back in 2018 where I was just expressing how I was having some trouble finding work. And because people already knew me and knew what work I was doing with other channels, people just started coming asking me like, hey, one of my editors dropped off. Would you like to come back on? So like I was saying earlier, it's like a slow thing that you do one by one to it comes to a point where your name is becoming more of a thing being discussed around other YouTubers because YouTubers talk. YouTubers like to share editors. A mm -hmm. lot of YouTube channels I've worked for have all been friends with each other. So a lot of it is like establishing yourself first, credibility, building trust with people within the space, especially the creators that you want to work with. And then after that, it's fostering the relationships thereafter. Yeah, especially since most YouTubers usually prefer that. They usually like to work with people they already have some pre-established connection with, like already off the bat, be more comfortable working with them and communicating with them. 
Joshua, what's your method for keeping up a relationship, right? A, a healthy professional relationship with people that you've been working with for a long time. What I try to do is like from right, right off the bat, I try to tell them like, I'm more than happy to have very open communication where like, if something, if there's something that's really small, that's wrong and it's just like bugging you, then tell me, cause I don't want it to come to a point when something actually wrong might happen. They go back and think of all the times that I may have screwed up, but they didn't say anything. I want to give off the impression that if I'm not doing something correctly, or if there's something that you don't like, then come and tell me. If I find something wrong personally, I don't try to phrase it in a way where it's like, hey, you're the problem. I try to take it like, hey, this is a problem and we're a team. I think it's just the way that I try to communicate with people, try to make it us versus the problem rather than, hey, you aren't doing this for me. You aren't giving me enough videos like you promised. It's more so, hey, this is what I was promised and this isn't quite happening. Is there something that we can do? I just try to establish that from the very beginning. I love that. Having open communications, being transparent and, and making sure that both parties understand that, okay, we're on the same team. And so if there's a problem, we're sh we should work together to solve it. It's basically what you're saying. Yeah, because I know some people are more sensitive about particular topics like payments, for example. Yeah, we'll be getting into that soon. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait for that then. Yeah, for sure. Jab, what about you in terms of like relationship building with clients? Let's say you got a couple of gigs and you've established yourself within the space. For the people that you've worked with already, how do you maintain that relationship or how do you even start building that relationship? I think what helped me the most was like, if I was a fan of a YouTuber that I started working for, I had to get out of that mindset immediately and just go into the mindset of, okay, this is what you're paying me for. And then once that ice has been broken, that you're no longer coming through a perspective of a fan that makes communication a lot easier. Another thing that helps me maintain relationships is the communication differences between me working with them and me just hanging out with them. I take very, very differently. Like whenever we're in like a work mode, I'll be very blunt, very set in stone. This is what we're going to do. This is what needs to be done. And then once it's all over, we go back to a friendly mode. And I think a lot of like groups of creators usually fall apart when they try to blur the lines of friendship and the work relationship too much. So it's more of a balance. And it's, I, I hear a lot of creators say they maintain that balance because when they're together, they're no longer like close friends. They're like a work team. And then afterwards, mm -hmm. like everything goes back to normal. I think it's very important to establish boundaries and also setting expectations for what the relationship will look like during work and outside of work if the relationship does extend beyond professional to become more like friendship, right? Like outside of all of the work. Because sometimes people do just vibe, but you got to make sure you don't mix those things. Otherwise, things can get pretty messy. I said something about setting boundaries and that reminded me of the conversation we had a little bit earlier was y'all don't work on the, the weekends anymore, right? You set boundaries for yourselves too, for mental health reasons. Correct. I used to do work like every day. Like I would just try and take as much work as possible, basically to go back just for a quick second on learning stuff. What I, one thing I also like to do is I would intentionally take jobs that I know I wasn't qualified for. I know it sounds weird, but if I need to do something, then it'll be easier for me to learn in comparison to doing something for myself. So if I take a client, I say I can do these 3D effects. If I don't know how to do it, then I'm more than happy to sit down for a long time and stay up and get it done. But if I'm doing something for myself, it's easy to just be like, eh, I'll just do it tomorrow. What I used to do is I just used to take a bunch of work where it's, I don't know how to do this. It only takes a day and then only it ends up taking three days. And then I fall behind and I'm just like piled with work. And eventually I was just like, Eh, I really don't even feel like editing. I'm so tired of it. I took a week off and then coming back to it, I was like, okay, I need to actually turn like tune it down so that doesn't happen. So I try my best to not take as much work. I still take maybe a little bit too much sometimes, but I tell myself if I don't have to work on Saturday, I don't. And no matter what, I do not work on Sunday. Yeah, you, you get addicted to it. And especially when it... um gives you like the satisfaction that you couldn't get before because I'm comfortable talking about it. I was a failed YouTuber. I tried doing it for two or three years, didn't really go anywhere. And the second I started doing work for other channels, it gave me like the satisfaction of, oh, look at this video with 300,000 views that I worked on. That's so much better than this video with 300 views that I worked on. And then you get addicted because that serotonin after working on a project that actually gets seen by people comes up, you end up being a workaholic. 
And the more and more <laughs> you do that, the more you realize that it's still a roadblock because, yeah, you're working on these big productions. But at the end of the day, you're still the backroom editor. And there are YouTube channels that are very nice to their editors. They'll give them shout outs and they'll do inside jokes of, oh, edit this right here and then visual gag. But that only goes so far. And that's why I'm saying it's important to not make that your entire universe and still focus on making your own like a person because there's people like Super Mega used to be editors for Game Grumps. And because they were focusing on making their own like name, then they created their own channel and now they're hiring video editors. Nice. So if you make video editing your only existence online you're gonna hit that roadblock and that burnout way quicker than anyone else who's like just using it as like a stepping stone to get their own career yeah speaking about working with people now i want to jump into a, a subject that is a little bit touchy but i think it's an important conversation to have we're going to be talking about payments and what happens if relationships go sour so let's start off with the payments how did you start charging for your work, Joshua, and what did you start off with? Whatever you're comfortable um, telling us. Okay, so payments, I'm still not 100% sure on what the quote-unquote proper payment is. I don't think there really even is one at this point because you have to value your time and the quality that you're providing to the person. One thing that I say a lot of the time is if me and you were to edit the same video, but it took you four hours to do and it took me eight hours to do, should I charge more? because it took me more time. That's that's like one thing that I think about a lot. So I do all of my payments in USD now, just because majority of the people that I work for do it in USD. But I used to do like $20 Canadian per hour. And I don't do per hour anymore, just as a note, probably talk about that a little bit more when we're talking about from the creator side. I do flat rates now and I do everything in USD. The Minimum that I do personally as of right now is 100 USD per video. The way I started it out, it was just an arbitrary number. I just compared it to other YouTubers or other editors. I had to ask them personally. Some people are willing to share, others not so much. So I kind of just tried to gather a bunch of different prices from other people. And I was like, I'm just starting out. And I know that these people are charging anywhere from 100 to 150. I was asking people who edited for Lily Pichu and stuff like that. So... Obviously, they're more experienced, so they can charge more. But I just kind of picked a low-ish number and just hope that I could get some work. In terms of pricing, I know Jab touched on this a little bit and saying that you shouldn't work for free. But honestly, I personally, I think working for free is not that big of a deal. One thing I would suggest is if someone comes up to you and asks to work and they'll pay you an exposure, that is a scam. Do not do that. I know you're still working for free, but the way that it's almost like they're going to be taking you for granted. And if you just give a gift to somebody, let's say you really like this YouTuber, I don't know, Disguised Toast, and you make an edit for him and he appreciates it, he's probably going to be like, oh, wow, this person's really cool. Go check out their stuff and whatnot. And he's doing it out of generosity rather than treating you like an employee. And you might even become, uh, I don't want to say friends, but like acquaintances with him, which might open up some opportunities. Most of my work now... I know I said that my my lowest I'll go is 100. My low my my standard has climbed up to maybe 140, 150 USD for each video. One thing that I'm trying right now and it's going to sound really greedy in a sense, but you try and push the envelope with your pricing depending on your quality as well as supply and demand. Especially when you're starting out, don't worry too much about pricing, just try to get yourself out there and have a lot of discussions with different editors in order to figure out what pricing you you think is good because everyone's pricing is is quite different to go back on what joshua was saying about working for free I, I can agree that to an extent working for free has its perks but i would just suggest as long as it's you're doing it more for a favor towards a friend than you thinking that you're going to get some like job out of it or some career out of it because a lot of the free work I was doing was really like small uh, time work. So I don't think it's like something you should avoid entirely, but just make sure that it's not to a point where you're like working like at very like illegal hours and like you get like getting illegally underpaid. <laughs> yeah, do it more as like a favor. So that's why I said someone's saying, hey, I'll pay you an exposure. Don't, you already know that's, that's a big red flag. Don't. Yeah, don't that's, take that's someone that's never going to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have some thoughts on this myself, um, learning some negotiations and pricing stuff. The first thing, I'm a big fan of what Joshua said, how he doesn't uh, charge hourly anymore. I, I believe more in 
value-based pricing. And so you price based on the value that you provide. Because if you can, like like his example, if you do a four-hour edit and versus an eight-hour edit, but then both of the quality is the same and the edits for the videos in a vacuum reach the same amount of viewership and, and produce the same amount of ROI, then obviously the four-hour one is going to be faster. But if you charge based on hourly, then that means you're going to get docked for that, which I think in both cases from the creator standpoint, the person who's hiring and, and the editor it's not really fair. Another thing about working for free that I've personally learned about is not all value that you receive as a freelancer needs to be monetary in the beginning or maybe even later too, depending on your situation, because there is the trade up principle where you might be able to work with someone who you really admire for free for like maybe one or two times to actually establish that relationship or actually get some kind of experience, get that in your portfolio and show like, hey, the work that I've done has impacted this person in a positive way. Now, then you could use that as leverage to start charging rates that are more fair for the people that you want to work with. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is I definitely think it's better to charge value-based or commission if you know your speed and you know how fast you can go. If you charge $25 an hour and you, and you finish it in four hours versus someone that gets it done in eight, they're going to get paid more for taking their time more than you can. So if you're confident in your speed, definitely do a commission-based. But if you are, are a bit of a slower editor and, and you want to take some time, don't feel bad about taking advantage of it. Do charge hourly. So if it takes you a bit more hours to do, then that'll like still give you more money because that's still more of your time that you're you're giving to this channel. That's how I base it. Like whenever I'm given a an overnight video due, I know I can get it done in 12 hours, but I'll still charge a commission base as if I were to get it done I'm usually giving 24 hours to do this, but I'm like, okay, I know I can get this done in 12, but if I charge hourly, I'm going to get paid half of what I think I'm worth. So at that point, yeah, like it's a lot better to give a flat rate than to, to log down how long it takes for you to make a video. I was going to say the one, one of the ways that I think about it is with flat rates, not only do you build more trust with the creator, just because like they know what they're going to be paying based off of what you guys agreed on. And if they ask for something more, so let's say all you do is just cut a video and then they ask you for some like crazy 3D effects, then you can tell them like, oh, this is going to require a lot more time and the price is going to have to go up for this particular video. They still know what they're going to be paying at the end of the day, rather than on average, you're doing videos for four hours and they're paying you hundred bucks. And then all of a sudden you have this video that actually ended up taking you 10 hours and then they get an invoice for 300, 400 bucks. And they're just like, what the hell? I, I never agreed to something like this. The other thing is that you can actually, with a flat rate, you can actually increase your per hour wage technically. So let's say I've been working for this creator for five months. Typically, if they only want one particular thing, so let's say they just want Twitch highlights, you can get into a rhythm and kind of figure out like the way that they like their speech patterns or like what moments are good in their types of videos. And you can actually end up getting them done faster. So instead of a $100 video taking five hours, all of a sudden you're doing these videos in three, two hours and you're still getting paid the same hundred bucks, but you're doing it in less time. So your per hour goes up technically. Yeah. And, and I just want to say this for both parties, for people who are editing and for creators who may be looking into editing or hiring editors as a solution, that time is one of the, it's basically the most valuable asset in the world because you can't get none of it back. In terms of a business, for people who hire editors, I believe that they see their content creation career like a business. And so time is very valuable there too. So the more that you can save um, somebody else's time, the more valuable you are while maintaining quality, right? Not trying to say, go sloppy and go fast. Saying if the more efficient you get, because the longer you work with this person, like Joshua said, you understand speech patterns, you understand the way they do their jokes and everything like that. You're way more valuable as a editor to them because you have that, not only the relationship, but you have that deep understanding of the the little details within their content. Yeah. And yeah, like one channel I worked for four years, like I knew their patterns when I was editing their audio. They sent me a file that's two hours long, but I know this is only going to be a 15 minute video. So I can tell by the audio waves of what times he messes up, what time he claps, when, what times he screams in rage because he messed up three or four times so I can see the audio waves spike up. You'll find yourself working faster. And if you have a settlement with the person you're working for that you're only working hourly, that will slowly work against you the faster that you work. Yeah, establishing a flat rate is like 
very important, even if you're not as speedful, because if there's a promising future with this YouTuber that you're going to spend quite a bit of time with them, you will get faster because Joshua said you understand the work patterns then you are going to start working faster and you don't want that to affect your pay. Before we move on to the next segment, I just want to give a shout out to Cherry and Candle.gg for being a part of helping put this together by connecting me, Jeb, and Joshua all together for this. So if you guys want to find a community of creatives or people to hire, whether it's graphic designers, managers, video editors, and more, go ahead and check out Candle.gg. There's a, a lot of very talented people that can help you with your problems. Yeah, shout out to Dunk in the audience for introducing me to this community. All right. So with that, everything seems good right now. But then what happens when engagements go sour? How have you handled it in the past? And what do you suggest for editors, for people that are just like not a good fit? Talking about engagement souring, like like the YouTube channel not doing as well, or maybe the personalities. There's some clashing personalities with the person that hired you, or just it's not what the work is not what you expected, or the work that you do is not what they expected. Just any type of any type of like bumps in the professional relationship between an editor and a creator, because I know sometimes those can get very uncomfortable and awkward. And like, how do you deal with those negative emotions or situations? I can spend like an hour or two talking about like the things I did wrong because everyone's a creative in this. And when it becomes like a problem, whether there's too many cooks in the kitchen or there's too many creative differences, it, it can go south really fast. And I've both been a part of it and witnessed it. So I guess one of the like obvious advice is to just keep your cool and don't turn it into some like uh big fiasco but other than that i have to think about that more all right for sure joshua why don't you take it on while uh jab thinks about it a little bit i think it's gonna vary from relationship to relationship but i i really like the idea of keeping it cool like how i said earlier i try my best to not make the problem about the person Whenever I'm talking to someone, I try to not say things like, hey, you're not doing this. I bring up the problem in a way where it's more so something that we should both work on together or like something that we should get through together rather than telling them, hey, you're doing this wrong or that they're the problem. If it's something that is on my end, then I'm more than happy to have them criticize me. I always try my best in the very beginning of the relationship to try and tell them that I'm more than open to any sort of criticism if they think that the way I'm editing or my turnaround times or anything really, if they think it's bad or they don't like it, then just tell just because more often than not, at least the people that I've worked with, they, they don't mean to, uh, they don't mean to attack you personally when something's wrong. So if they say, Hey man, like, this section of this video just isn't really all that good. They're not telling me that like my, like me as a person that I suck or that I can't learn or that my editing in general just sucks. They're just telling me like, Hey, like this needs to change or like this needs to be worked on. I actually, for those people who know, there's a person named sleepy who does like, he's like a goofball and he plays games like overwatch and Valorant and stuff like that. The first video that I had to do for him took me probably like a week and a half, two weeks, just because I wasn't really getting the editing style. And it was hard just because it almost felt like I almost reached a point where it's, wow, I really can't edit this way. But it wasn't like they were telling me that I should just stop editing or that like I suck at editing. You have to put yourself in the mindset of they're not personally attacking me and there's not necessarily anything wrong with me it's just that it's possible that it's not a good fit or that it's just a problem that you have to you have to get over together and if that isn't possible then it's just it just happens sometimes yeah it's a learning process yeah not everyone is necessarily compa uh, compatible to work with other people some people are very rigid and aren't really willing to go to the extent to work with people that don't necessarily fit very well in the beginning. If you find some people that you think are really cool and you really want to edit for them, it, just know that like it might not necessarily work out and you just got to keep going. One thing I would highly suggest is to keep your Twitter more on the professional side, but that's just a personal thing, is to not go on Twitter and be like, oh my gosh, this guy sucks. He didn't 
keep his side of the agreement. He's such a terrible person. Unless they did something like inherently wrong. Like if they scammed you and they're like, hey, we'll pay you 1K for this video that's going to take a month. And then they didn't pay you and then they just ran away. Then yeah, warn other people. But I would highly suggest you do it in a more professional way rather than lash out at them. Because I think that can backfire pretty hard. Yeah, there there comes there does become a point where a YouTuber you're working for gets so bad that's like your last ditch effort after working with them. And that's what a lot of people don't understand about people that call out creators is more often than not, that's usually a last resort after like weeks or months of arguing with them. And then you just go, okay, if you don't believe me, I'm going to bring it to the public and we'll see how they feel about it. There's this one YouTuber who recently made three 10-hour videos and it was all edited by one person. And when you really calculate, like, the hours they spent on it and how much the minimum wage is for the state they live in, they should have gotten paid five or $6,000, but instead they got paid, like, twelve, thirteen hundred, which is, like, severe, which, which, like, when people did the math, that was, like, two or three dollars an hour. And that, and like, when it gets that bad, then yes, absolutely, especially if they're not willing to negotiate after you spent all those, like, hours of labor for that like someone that works at a fast food restaurant gets paid way more to do and and joshua did help me like figure it out to answer the the question that you had i do agree to not take things super seriously because a lot of youtubers a lot of youtubers get famous by accident you hear a lot of people go oh i wasn't expecting it to go this route i just did this and then it exploded so therefore when it's finally time for them to establish a team like they don't know the ethics of having a team they don't know the etiquette on keeping a team of workers happy. So sometimes you'll see people handling things like unprofessionally, like Joshua said, they might say things that are a bit too personal. Oh, this part of this video was bad, redo it. And like Joshua said, it's not really like a reflect, like it doesn't reflect on your character as much as it just reflects on the fact that YouTubers didn't go to business school. YouTubers don't know how to run anything. <laughs> They're like, no matter how famous a lot of these people are, we're still just dorks. We're still just nerds. <laughs> we're finding our own way. Yeah, we're like finding our own way. So it definitely helps to not take it too personally and ju just know that it's more of a factor of, of them just not knowing how to handle it. But much like that person that eventually called out uh, that YouTuber that underpaid them, it does get to a point where you have to uh, take better, like dire straits. Like at, despite all that, like still put yourself before anything. I recently had to leave a channel uh, because the owner of this channel would stream themselves looking at the people's edits like in front of their audience. And they were really harsh about the feedback and it got to a point where it just became incredibly embarrassing seeing like them giving me that harsh feedback in front of their audience. And I was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't worth it. So there needs to be a balance. Don't take everything too personally, but if it gets that bad, then absolutely think of yourself before that person. And even if you're a fan of them, that's still like some, like a type of way you should not be treated. So yeah, like give yourself some self-respect. Yeah. Know your worth. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And it, it happens. There's a lot of people where the fame gets to their head too much, or they feel like they can get away with things like that. And it's up to a lot of their employees to give them that reality check that they're not hot shit like that. They can't get away with as much as they think they can. So don't take things too personally, be understanding to them, but at the same time, don't be a doormat to them. Don't make them think that they can say whatever you want, but it doesn't matter. They're a fan of my channel. So like, they're going to stay with me no matter what. And now we're going to be switching over to questions from the creator standpoint. I guess I'll role play and, and be that because I am a creator myself. If I'm looking for an editor, where's the, the best place to go is actually candle.gg. I got to <laughs> give the shout out there to find video editors. But aside from there, maybe you haven't found someone exactly yet. Where, where are other places that you can go to find a video editor and how do you even reach out to them in the first place? Is it like better to do emails? Is it better to do DMs? One, one place is Twitter, but Twitter can be like hot or cold just because it's very inconsistent. The thing with Twitter is that you can get some kid or person that thinks they, they can do very good video editing, but isn't actually that good at it. Or you can actually get someone that's pretty decent. As a, from a content creator perspective, I would say Discord, but I don't really know how, I guess you'd want to envelope yourself in video editor places just because I don't know if there's really content creator Discord since I don't really join those. I'm 
in a lot of video editing discords and those uh, quite a few, a handful of those discords post jobs themselves. So you can go there and then post the job that you're looking for as, uh, as an example, but other places I can think of are Upwork, which I was going to use, but don't really use just because I found success mostly through word of mouth, discord, and Twitter. I, I don't know too much about it other than word of mouth and social media. Cause that's all I've really done. I remember y'all talking about how creators talk to other creators. So like word of mouth, right? If you are a creator and have creator friends who have hired video editors before or, or are a fan of the, the work that they do, then maybe you could also ask them. Word of mouth is OP. Like word of mouth is too good. If you actually have a good relationship with the content creator, then it's really easy for them. As an example, for those of you who know Alexia, her name, Alexia Ray on Twitter, someone suggested me to go and edit for her. And I didn't have to really show her anything or really sell like my service or anything really. She just asked me if I could edit for her. I said yes. And that was basically it because she has the trust with the person that suggested me. That's uh, if you're a content creator and you other people that edit and you trust their opinion, then go and ask them. That's like really a really, really solid way. Just be prepared to have some money. <laughs> yeah. I'll Pretty much all the channels I worked for were just extensions of, oh, the channel I worked for knows this channel or another editor I worked for happens to know this. I started working for the channel Mother's Basement just because I was friends with one of their previous employees. I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. Are you interested? I started working uh, back in 2019 for a channel called Matt Big Muscle simply because my friend was like, hey, Matt wants me to edit this video, but I'm too busy. Can you do it? And this all goes back to just like making sure that your online presence is more than just someone that's looking for work because the more and more people know you, you're going to find yourself not needing to look for callings. You're going to find yourself not needing to just spend hours and hours browsing like job application boards and everything. You'll probably just wake up to someone DMing you asking if you want to help out. So if I want to hire uh, a video editor, is it better to do DMs or, or emails within the video editor space or what do you all y'all prefer? I'm pretty sure it, it, the answer is probably going to be depends on the person, but I, I still would like to hear the opinions anyways. Uh, I think for like individuals and like smaller creators, you probably want to do DMs. If you're going for like big companies or like uh, more established groups than probably email. The thing is that with smaller creators, their social medias aren't like super clogged up because they're a small channel. They're going to be on social media a lot if they're really trying to grow. So they're going to, there's going to be quite a good amount of opportunity for them to see that you actually sent their mess, uh, sent that message. On the flip side, if you're trying to work for a big established group, there's a very good chance that people are always DMing them and posting fan art and all this other stuff. So I would probably go for an email approach instead, just because the people that run the social media account might not necessarily be the same people that hire. They might have an exclusive sector in their company or group or whatever uh, that's responsible for hiring and like managing people. You probably want to look for that if they're 10 million followers or 50 million followers. But like Peter said, it really does depend on the creators. My advice is before you even ask, really study the creator that you have hopes for working with and see if they have an inquiry email, whether it be on their Twitter bio or their YouTube channel bio, or if they don't have that I think it's just better to assume that if they need someone, they'll do a calling. I'm completely biased, but I've gotten all of my work through Twitter and Discord. It was always people that made tweets, uh, giving calling out, like we said earlier, every few days, don't hesitate to look up looking for video editor or video editor, and then like a link to an application, blah, blah, blah. The best way to do it is to let the creator ask first, because if a creator is not asking for editors, chances are they're good. It'll come off as more pushy if you ask them without them asking first. But at the same time, you can still drop the hints. There's a couple channels I've worked for where we just had a non-related conversation. And then by the end, I'll be like, hey, and just so you know, if you ever need some help, like I'm here. And then that's like the perfect balance of, okay, you gave the pitch that you're available if they need them, but it's not too pushy. So you won't get the job right away, but they might contact you like two or three months down the road. Mm -hmm. If they have their DMs open, chances are there's 300 unread messages. I I've managed Twitter accounts of big YouTubers before that had open DMs. And yeah, it was all people like asking them to join their Discord servers or asking them to check out this weird song they made, etc. Okay.
Uh, on the flip side, though, do y'all prefer it when creators reach out to you through DMs or, or emails? I personally don't care just because as of the last five or six months, I've been very, I've been very, I've tried to stay away from social media just because I'm not very good at moderating it. So I've been very distant from social media for, for the last little while. I instead have it so that Twitter emails me whenever someone DMs me. So usually I just check my email really quick. If anyone decides to actually just use my email, I see it. If someone DMs me on Twitter, then I still see it in my email. So I, I don't really care personally. It's not a deal breaker if someone emails me, but I personally prefer DMs. I think DMs are more intimate. I think DMs allow more real-time conversation to happen because emails, like emails make people think they need to give their entire pitch in one post, which like kind of prevents like natural conversation. Whereas I think DMs, it's just the equivalent of an in-person interview, like talking to them face-to-face. And I, I think emails prevents learning more about someone's workflow and whatnot, especially if the person you're hiring is like someone who's aware, who's like aware of your channel. I feel like the editor will appreciate that intimacy more because it shows, Hey, this is this creator with all these followers, but they're taking their time to talk to me because they want to get to know me more. And that'll like really like up the relationship and the editor's motivation to want to work for you, in my opinion. To go off of that, I usually, I try to initiate like a call with them in some shape or form as a way to break the ice. But if you're just shooting out a message to inquire the possibility of even working together, then I don't really care. And for any creators who are listening to this, who are interested in working with a video editor, make sure you like, you have an idea of what the engagement is. If it's like really vague, then I think it's really hard for the video editor themselves to understand what you're looking for or what kind of problem you have in the first place. And that would just extend the initial conversation and, and take up a lot of time. So make sure you know what you need and want first and what you're looking for before reaching out to an editor. Do your research on what their editing style is so you don't talk to a person who like may not even be a good fit in the first place because you didn't do your homework. I do want to address a curator edits. He actually asked me with a question. So he said, just arrived here, but what would you say to smaller editors like myself who had some success but can't break through to being financially sustainable. And we touched upon this, so I'll just say something really quick and y'all can also give like very quick thoughts. But what we discussed was basically, if you are making a little bit of money already, see if you could just try to up your rates and w see what your current clients say about that. Because then for all you know, they could be totally down with increasing the price based off the value you bring if you edit for them for a while now. So if you're working with a creator with like X amount of views, try working your way up 1.5 times to like another creator that's a little bit bigger and then up your rate there. And then so you just keep on climbing. But then I think a lot of it has to do with, first of all, it's like self-limiting belief, like not feeling that you are good enough to charge those kind of prices, but also knowing how to reach out and having the courage to actually say, hey, this is what my rate is now. Does that sound reasonable to you? And seeing where to go from there. It's a lot of testing and talking to figure out what price you can get to that is like financially sustainable for you. Okay. I admittedly do something that's a bit more sketchy. I'm assuming most people that work with YouTubers exchange payments with third-party apps like PayPal or Venmo. I do this thing where after I've worked for them for a certain amount of months or years, I'll like very subtly start upping the price when they send them invoices. Say I used to charge $300 for one video and then the channel didn't complain about that. One or two months down the line, I might subtly go, oh, 315, 320, if they don't have any complaints and they give you the money that you asked for, be like, oh, I'm not complaining. Okay. And next thing I know, I slowly ended up making a hundred to $150 more than I was usually getting per video. So I, I really think like just dropping subtle hints like that, like slowly bumping up your invoice requests more and more like the, the longer that you work with them can work. And if they have a problem with it, they'll tell you they're not going to, if they're not going to pay you that much and be like, oh, why are they charging more? If they really have a problem with that, they'll let you know. And if that ever happens, hopefully it doesn't, then you can start explaining why you need to up your rates. If they don't want to abide by that, then unfortunately it's probably time to start looking for a new channel to work for because they obviously can't afford what you're worth. And that's not a reflection on you. That's a reflection on them. It's nothing really personal. It just means that 
you're more valuable to a channel that can afford you. I won't go too long with my answer. I would just say if you have, especially if you have the luxury of time to, to just work on your skills, just try to continue getting better at video editing. And as your quality goes up, it's just natural that your prices go up. I, I know it can feel a little bit awkward to ask for higher prices, but as you get better, then it's pretty self-explanatory that someone who provides higher quality should get paid more. If you have the luxury of time, just continue working on your edits. Don't really worry too much about money in the beginning, like when you're first starting out and just keep trying to get better. And over time, just keep trying to push the envelope a little bit. I would personally say to communicate with the person, even if it's the same content creator and you want to raise, talk to them about it. I personally would not just subtly up the invoice. As an example with, with Krista, I actually told her that, Hey, I'm going to need to figure out a way to be more financially stable because I'm actually going to be taking editing more seriously than I have before. And I let her know early just so that she wasn't too surprised when it actually came up and I actually figured out what prices I should be doing at the current time. And if that doesn't work out, then you can continue to work for them for the next two weeks or a month or so, and let them know that after the next couple of videos, you're going to have to go and find some other work to do because you're a person and you need to be financially stable. Yeah, we all got to eat. Thank you for the answers. I hope Curator Edits, I hope that helped you out. And uh, we only have a few more questions left because I know it's already been an hour. Uh, I'm trying to try to keep this under an hour 30 for everybody's time. I know it's the weekend. I hope you guys are all enjoying this time here if you are then please give these wonderful editors a follow and follow candle.gg for all of, if you need any creative work done, their website has a bunch of creators in there that you can search through and hopefully find the right one for the, for the challenge that you have, right? The right solution for your current creative challenges. There we go. All right. So I, I have this question because I haven't really worked with a video editor before and I have a very specific way of let me see. How do I start this off? Everyone has their own way of organizing their files and everyone has different types of naming conventions. Do you have any advice for me or other creators who want to hire video editors on how to organize your files, naming conventions, just so I don't hand you like a box full of unorganized, jumbled footage, photos, audio, whatever, to make editors life a lot easier. Okay. I guess uh, I'll go first. Uh, so you can, there's actually quite a few programs that you can use if you really want to, if you're really concerned about things being organized. So there's a program called post haste, which what it basically does is all you really need to do is set up the organized groups of folders once. And then all you really need to do is just type in a few different variables. So like the name, the date of when it was created, if you really want to, or the subject. And it'll create that same folder every time. And then you can just drag in the assets, the appropriate assets that you want. Usually organization isn't really too much of a problem for me, just because I would say like 70, 80% of my work is done with Twitch VODs. So really all the content creator needs to do is send me the recorded file. And that's basically it. The organization is all on my end. It has nothing to do with them. They just send me the file or I just download it off of Twitch. The last vlog that I did for somebody, they, what they actually did for me is I think they actually went a little bit overboard. They really didn't need to go to this extent, but they gave me a Google document and labeled exactly what each video file was. And there was like a hundred <laughs> different video files as wow, You really didn't need to go this far. All they really needed to do is organize the file so that I know what order it goes in. The biggest thing I would like to think, again, I'm not the best person to ask for this just because most of my work is done through Twitch VODs and all I need is the clip really, is to at least label or give them stuff that where they can tell the chronological order of things. That's what I would say. Okay. What about you, Jeb? Take my advice with a grain of salt, because I, I know this is very this is very subjective, but I'm personally okay with working with chaos. M more often than not, me working with a YouTube channel is just passing Google Drive links back and forth in a Discord DM or a Twitter DM, and I'll just create the folders on my own. Because from my experience, the more and more editor teams try using like 
extra software like Trello or, or Slack or like other things, it, it, it like starts to, it slowly starts to create more steps, which gets people like more unmotivated to do it. But from my experience, when you make it more casual, when it's just something as simple as a discord group DM, where you drop things like it, 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 it looks a bit disorganized at first, but it really simplifies it. I think doing extra things like third party tools and whatnot is a little bit extra, but I know that's not how everyone works. So. I, I guess it just depends on if it's just you working on it by yourself or it's a whole, or if it's a whole team, it, it really depends on the type of vibe that the team has together. But more often than not, I work with people that are really comfortable with that method. Gotcha. So I think the biggest takeaway then, no matter who you are, is just like to keep the process simple, right? Don't do what you need to do in order to get the work done, but don't make it convoluted, then more convoluted than it needs to be. Yeah, the, yeah the, like it's, I, it's much easier to get just a simple Google Drive or Dropbox thing rather than you telling me that I need to go on to frame.io and then go into this folder and download the specifically the MP4 version versus the AVC version and blah, blah. Just give me a link to what I'm supposed to download and we're good. Yeah, let the professionals handle it. Yeah, like not to say any names, but one channel I worked for wanted me to like edit evo panels for them and the person i was working for gave me this link that showed this really complicated calendar of oh po post it in this uh widget of this calendar so we can know what day to post it and it was so complicated and i was like dude i just tm it to you why don't i just give you of a, a, a video drive link and call it a day but yeah, like it's, it's a lot of pseudo professionalism where a lot of people think that they have to utilize these tools just because it looks good. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but like when people try to make it more complicated than that, it doesn't look professional. It just looks pathetic. I know that's harsh to say, but you speak your truth, man. You speak your truth. I, pre I appreciate you being, I, I did have a question. I had one more question. It was about. What the heck? It was about organizing something about stereotypes. Are there any other do's and don'ts when working with video editors just to make the relationship, the working relationship as simple as possible to make sure that the videos are exactly how you want it to be done? For me, going back to the price negotiating, I think the very, like we already talked about, if you say it's for exposure, don't say it. And a lot of creators have learned not to say stuff like that, but I've found whenever I try to negotiate prices or workflow, they found different ways to talk about it. They found ways to say, oh, I thought you just wanted practice or, oh, I thought you appreciated the art. <laughs> oh, I thought no. you appreciated the art of this more. Don't you want to be a part of something more than anything? Don't you appreciate the art? And even if you're a fan, the more you work with them, the more it comes to a point of, no, these are your videos. This isn't my script. <laughs> this, is, this is your script. I don't care. Like you're hiring me as a person to like work for you. This is... Like th this is your art. This isn't mine. So like, that's a huge red flag I have with creators is when they try to find sneaky ways to get into the fanboy of your brain instead of the employee part of your brain. And I, I think that's my biggest pet peeve is when they found better ways now that the four exposure thing is a huge meme that they think they're clever, but come on, we're smarter than that. Yeah, it's like me back in middle school going up to the teacher and being and like asking questions about the test in a certain way to try to get the answer out of them. You know what I'm saying? All right, Joshua, what about you? Because I, oh, yeah, and, and thank you, Jab. I actually remembered what the question was, but I'll, I'll do it right. I'll ask right after uh, Joshua. Could you, could, sorry, could you repeat the question? What are some do's and don'ts when working with video editors that you want creators to know about? I'll give you one and one. I guess yeah. they'll be intertwined is communication. I think that communication is really big. I know I've talked about it all within the questions that we've been given, but I think that's out of the video editing aspect. That's probably one of the best things I would say that I'm decent or good at. I think if you have good communication, even if things don't necessarily turn out too well, then it's really easy to get them resolved. Whether or not that means you have to part ways or if you can actually get over the problem and continue working together. I've been on both sides where some creators just treat you like, like just straight employees, like at a fast food restaurant where it's like you go there, you do your thing, and then you just leave. It feels very empty almost, and it doesn't really feel satisfying, even if the content that I edit is something fun. It's a lot more transactional, would you say? Yes. Transactional is a very good word. Um, I would say don't be like just purely transactional. I know 
uh, with some people you have to put on like your business face and then you can take that off when things are done. Kind of like how Jab was saying, but I would say at least try to be friendly, like communicate with them as if like you would like to be communicated. I know that's like a, a cheesy thing to say, but when you do that, I feel like it's much easier to build the relationship and actually get things done when a problem arises. It can feel very, how should I say? It can feel very, is cheap the right word? It can feel very bad. I know it's very vague, but it can feel pretty bad when something doesn't quite work out and they just give you these one word answers. That's very, it's like in a very transactional way. So I would just say to try and be just a little bit friendly when you're talking with video editors. Cause I, I, I think there's quite a bit that content creators don't really understand like the time and the work that video editors actually put in order to make the videos. I think some people think, oh, it's just a YouTube video. Like it's not that big of a deal, but video editors put in a lot more time than you probably think. All right. Thank you very much for that perspective. So the, I guess this is the last question that I have. Do you prefer when the creator actually has some kind of like outline or a storyboard or like a, a script of how they want their videos to come out to be some kind of guidelines of the video or do y'all personally prefer or, or do you think more editors prefer just to take creative direction of what the video is look and feel like at the end of the day personally i like to uh, more often than not in the beginning i like to have some sort of at least a guideline, because if someone just says to just make a video, then I feel lost sometimes, unless they've seen the work that I've done and like what I've done for other creators. That still acts as a guideline. So let's say uh, creator one messages creator two about me as a video editor, and they see the work that I've done for creator one. They come to me and say, hey, can you make videos like you have for this person? That still acts as like a guideline. But if they straight up just come to me and say, oh, just make whatever you want, then it feels like weird. It, if it works out, then it works out. And I have a guideline because I've already made one type of video. But it just feels like I don't have any sort of direction to work towards. If they literally just come up and say, hey, can you make a video for me? I'll give you this much or if whatever the agreement is. And I try to ask them, like, can you at least give me like a video that you like, that you'd like me to try and emulate or something? And they just say, no, just make whatever you want. Granted, that's only happened. <laughs> that literally has only ever happened once to me. And it feels really awkward. Just when I make an edit, I'm just like, I don't know if this person's going to like this. Sure. It might be a good edit. It might not necessarily be the best. It might fit, but I don't know how far to take it or if they like more of a rough edit rather than a fancy smooth one, I, I just don't know. So it just feels awkward. I think it really depends on the content. When it's like Twitch VODs and Let's Plays, I more often than not get channels that just tell me to go nuts, do your thing. But, and to an extent, like that can work. I have had channels that just absolutely let me do whatever I wanted and, and I got away with it. But only do that if you, A, like Joshua said, know exactly what their type of editing style is and and b if you're willing to accept jokes that didn't exactly go with what you were saying or like a joke that doesn't exactly align with your channel if you don't if you don't like any of those if you don't know this person's editing or if you or if you're afraid they're going to put jokes that you that you don't like in please be transparent about that because i can't tell you also how many times people have told me to do my thing and then I get a whole bunch of editing notes that say, hey, take this joke out. I don't understand this. Or take this joke out. I don't think people will, will like this. I've gotten that so many times. And I'm like, bro, you told me to do my thing. Yeah, be <laughs> transparent about that. So, so, and I have worked for channels that were transparent like that. Like one channel I worked for, Matt McMuscles, whenever he sent me a script, like literally every one or two sentences had a note on it that told me what to do. So I was like, great, he's telling me exactly what he wants. And then more often than not, I would only get one or two change requests back and then the video will be out later that day. You just really have to make sure you know who you're working with. And only if you're willing to see jokes and edits that you are not familiar with, should you tell someone to just do their thing. Otherwise, it's just going to create conflict because a lot of editors are people that try to be creators themselves at one point. So they're going to use your platform as an opportunity to get their own like skills and, and art out there. That's what a lot of them are trying to do. After you've worked with them for a little while, then you can figure out like 
you might not necessarily need to ask because you've gotten a feel for the stuff that they like. So like Krista, for example, I don't bother asking her anything. I don't bother asking her anything anymore. I just do it. And usually it's fine. Yeah. For anybody else who is an aspiring video editor out there, and, and this is something that I've learned from my own personal work with clients. I don't necessarily do video editing for anyone who's wondering. I do more brand strategy work with people and helping creators develop themselves, find the direction and whatnot. One of the best things that I've learned was how to ask questions for people who are reaching out to me as potential clients to figure out exactly what they want. And and even if they are like, hey, yeah, you know what? Just go do your thing, which I have definitely had people tell me before that, oh yeah, you're the expert. You should know what to do. I, I would still try to like be like, okay, cool. But first I want to ask you some questions to make sure that I completely understand what you're going through, what your challenges are, and how I may be able to do my best to help you out in, in a way that works for your specific situation. And one book that has helped me out a lot with that is a book called The Coaching Habit. It, it's Despite the name, you don't need to read it and, and learn to be a coach. It's a it's a book about how to ask proper questions to kind of surface things that may be in the back of other people's minds that they may not mention. It's by Michael Bunye Stanyard. The, the last name is actually hard to pronounce, but if you look up The Coaching Habit, it's a wonderful book for anybody uh, who is looking to get into any type of um, freelance work that has clients and being able to understand them and what their needs are is super, super powerful. Okay. And with that said, does anyone have any last minute shout outs? Because we're actually at 4 p.m. PST. So we're going to go ahead and uh, close this out. Uh, Jab, you can go first for any shout outs that you may have. I'm mostly on here on Twitter. So feel free to talk to me here. As far as my videos go, I'm on YouTube under the same. There's a playlist on my channel called videos I've edited slash help edited. You can go there to see my good videos. And you can go on my personal uh, channel video uploads to see my bad videos, my my terrible shit posty ones. Awesome, awesome. For me, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not too much on social media anymore. But if you go to my Twitter page, it basically has any information that you need to reach me. You, my DMs are open if you want to message me. My Discord link is all, my Discord tag is also on there, so you can add me on Discord if you'd like, or send me an email if you really want to go to that extent. I do have links to all of my work on my profile as well. Literally, if you just click my profile at the top, everything's there. If I don't reply right away, again, I'm not on social media that much anymore, so give me like a day or two and I'll probably respond then. Oh, I was also going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the Candle GG Discord server under the same name if Discord's your preferred way to talk. I just wanted to thank you both for coming on. I know it's the first time we're all talking for this long and on Twitter Spaces, which is a pretty new platform. So thank you for being accommodating, coming on during your weekend and enlightening all of us with your experience and, and knowledge. It's really cool that y'all did that. And uh, I wanted to give a shout out to, once again, Shiri and candle.gg for helping us connect all three of us together to make this happen. Go ahead and check them out on Twitter and then the Discord channel that Jab was talking about should be linked there too. As for me, I'm Peter Lamb. I'm a realistic optimist that helps full-time creators find a direction, grow, and make a good living from their passions. So a lot of the content, if you do decide to follow me on Twitter, is going to be mostly around the creator economy and which working with video editors is a huge part of that too. So thank you everybody for listening and watching. I appreciate it. And until whenever the next space is, I hope everybody has an amazing weekend. All right, yeah, bye -bye. thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you, you very much.